Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 359 of the podcast. It is March 2nd, 2020, and joining me today from Switzerland is Professor Alfred Angerer to talk about lean healthcare. Now, I had a chance to meet up with Alfred. We visited a hospital together um, in Switzerland, north of Zurich, late last year. As uh, we discussed, um, he actually had me as a guest on his healthcare podcast that we recorded together in his office. But this time, uh, he joins me via the internet to be a guest here. We talk about his path into studying, teaching, and consulting on lean healthcare. We'll chat about what's different and what's similar in Swiss healthcare, and we'll touch on his books and and his research articles and other publications in the conversation. So if you'd like to find the blog post for this episode with links uh, to his webpage and and his work, some of it's written in German, some of it is written in English, you can go to leanblog.org slash 359. Hi, Alfred. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Mark. Yeah. So where are you joining us from? I'm currently in Switzerland. To be more precise, I'm in a city called Winterthur. That's around um, 15 minutes from Zurich, so in the north middle part of Switzerland. Yeah, and I had uh, a chance to um, come come visit you, and, and I know it wasn't too far outside of Zurich, uh, by train, and um, we, we we talked um, a lot. And you you had me as a guest on um, your podcast, and I want, want to thank you for that. And if you if you can tell the listeners the exact name of your podcast and, and a little bit about your um, about your uh, your series. Oh, that was a pleasure having you here in Switzerland and having you being a guest of my podcast and now for everyone who's able to speak German, they will have it a little bit, little bit easier because mm-hmm. you have to go to the webpage gesundheitswesen.org. And I think the best thing is to LinkedIn in your um, podcast. Otherwise uh, it would be difficult to find it, but thanks again for being there. Um, my guests. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. We, we did, uh, since I don't speak uh, German, we, we, we did our episode in, in English. And uh, I think if people search um, for your name in the podcast directories, I bet that will um, come up as well. So um, I'm going to turn the tables here and we're going to talk more about your work and, and your books. And I want to hear about um, your, your experiences in um, Switzerland and beyond. Um, can can you know maybe as far as introductions? Can you talk a little bit about your role as a, a professor? Um, what what classes do you teach? Before we get into um, the research and, and writing that you do, what 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 are you teaching? Sure, um, I have three roles as a professor here in Switzerland, and the one is obviously teaching. So um, I, we have developed our own Master of Science program. And it's called um, healthcare management. So you can already think what it, this is, is about how do we manage best our organizations. And big part of my teaching is also for healthcare professionals. I don't know how it is in the States, but if you become a nurse, if you can become a physician, 
you tend not to hear a lot about managing business leadership during your studies. So people, as soon as they become well, leaders of their team of departments, they need some basic training in this. So they come to us to listen to, for example, how to implement Lean. So that's the teaching part. But um, what is very important for us, if you want to teach good stories, you first need to um, experience them. It's not enough just mm -hmm. to read them in the books. So what we do as well is consulting. So we go out there, talk to the organizations and try to help them to overcome their problems. And while doing so, we do our third job, that's research. So we try to, everything that we find out there, that we see out there, we try to combine that into theories and to publish it in different magazines, journals. And my personal research focus is obviously on um, lean management, especially on how this is changing the roles and the processes of the leaders in healthcare organizations. And the second part now becoming more and more important is everything about digital health. How is, how is this transforming the way we lead and manage our organizations? Yeah, so we'll have an opportunity to explore, um, yeah, not, not just lean, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk also about um, digital health. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, how did you become interested in um, healthcare, healthcare management, healthcare improvement? How, how did you become interested in that as a, a field and a, a discipline to study and teach? It's more, it's a little bit a story similar to you where, as the listeners have heard, I'm an industrial engineer from background and had business science and started working in different companies. And when I was, all the knowledge I have about Lean, I learned it as my time as a consultant for McKinsey, but that was just manufacturing related knowledge. So I didn't have anything to do with healthcare until 10 years ago. There was my boss coming into my room and saying, um, you know what, I have here usually taught a class on operations management to bachelors. And the last uh, month I was uh, invited to teach the same course to a class full of nurses and physicians. And you know what, they didn't like my course. Yeah. But the yeah. thing is, well, surprisingly, the thing is, I don't have the power energy to transform that course, but I have good news for you. Um, I found a book here uh, from a guy called Mark Revan and it says <laughs> Lean Hospital. I have no idea if it's a good one or not, but <laughs> take this book and redo the course. Yeah. Mm. And so basically, I, at the beginning, well, it was just an order top down, like uh, in a hierarchical situation, but I'm so happy that um, I started with that field because I noticed very, very fast. This is a um, fascinating field um, for many yeah. different reasons. And I, I hope the book was at least okay. I think the book was very, very inspiring. Yeah, And so you know that, uh, and I think you have heard it many times. It really helped me a lot because this is exactly the kind of knowledge that we required at our university. It's not just some wild theories. If you are talking to a nurse or a physician, to anyone working in a hospital, 
They want to know real life ex um, experiences. They want to hear the stories, how to implement that. What's, what's the purpose of all this? And so it's really, really helpful to say, you know, some hospitals like this one described in the book has already implemented that. So it must work. Yeah. And, and I apologize if it sounded like I was fishing for a compliment, but I, <laughs> I do appreciate, I'm, 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 I'm glad the book, um, was, uh, was useful. And, and so, you know, kind of stepping back a little bit to, you know, talking about educating physicians and nurses and other healthcare professionals. Um, I, I, I think what I heard you saying was that they didn't like the course because the examples came from other industries. Yes. And they, they didn't think this is relevant to them. You know, if yeah. you were teaching them something about variation, about standardization, uh -huh. Yeah, everything is fine if you're producing a car, if you're producing shoes. But if I'm here in a service sector and I'm dealing with persons, with feelings, why should I keep listening to you? So to make them clear that it's so relevant for your field as well, that's a challenge. And I, I think it's you had similar experiences in your life. Not everyone embraces the idea of, all right, let's talk about my processes and why I'm not working right at my hospital. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, like I think you said earlier, um, you know, physicians and nurses and pharmacists and what have you generally don't receive management education during their professional training, right? Indeed, and it's a shame. But um, we try to change that many times that we, within our university, we are training nurses and other healthcare professionals. And they just canceled my course on business basics. So you see, it's still, at least in our country, still not really changing that situation. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. But um, <laughs> yeah. there's, um, I mean, you know, there, there's so much opportunity, like you said, you know, to, to help people view their work as uh, a process, uh, as, as a fundamental step to being able to talk about improving processes. And I think, I think that's, that's a challenge when people view their work as basically, you know, my own individual effort. Um, and, and everyone is trained to focus on their own individual excellence. That doesn't necessarily, doesn't lead to a great system, right? That's true. And what is for me fascinating and 10 years ago is when I first understood that, yes, it, the transfer of knowledge to the healthcare sector is very important. For many reasons. First of all, we are talking about human life. So why we should improve the processes should be pretty crystal clear for everyone. The second thing was about, you know, healthcare in Switzerland is lagging maybe 15, 20 years other industrial sectors. So there's so much improvement potential. Yeah, and the third um, part of that was that there's a lot of money in the system, um, but also a lot of waste. So this combination of it's important, you're lagging behind, and you would have the resource to change something. So let's try to do it. That was my approach. Yeah. yeah. So before we um, you know, talk more about lean, um, I think it would be interesting to maybe set some context for the listeners about the Swiss healthcare system, because I, I think in, in the U.S., um, a lot of people uh, generalize about uh, you know the systems outside of America being all the same, and and, and that's not um, the case. So you know, for example, um, you know you have the British model where you have primarily government-owned 
hospitals, the government as a payer, um, uh, doctors being uh, employees of, of the NHS. Or then, you know, you have the Canadian model where it's definitely a single payer model, but primarily privately owned hospitals and clinics. Or, you know, you have the Dutch model, which has insurance companies involved. I mean, how, how would you characterize the Swiss system? So it's neither of those systems. It's, it's always a combination, well, combination <laughs> of many different ideas. But I think the easiest thing to describe is, is to think about it is a free market, but highly regulated, mm. meaning that, for example, the insurance market. So basically, everyone is able to open their uh, own insurance company, health insurance company. Um, and you as a citizen, you can freely choose among them. You can change every year your insurance if you want. But, and that's the mandatory part, you have, you must have one. Uh, there is not a single citizen here in this country without insurance uh, coverage. So there is no situation where you can drop out of the system. And if you refuse to choose one for whatever reasons, then this government is going to force you into one. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's something that's, uh, first of all, most for Americans guests visiting us, uh, one big difference, saying that there is not a single person in this country that's not insured. And also, well, you have to pay for it. You, there are some fees for that. If you cannot afford them, someone you're got, going to get subsidized. So it's really, there's no way that you can drop out of the system because you don't have enough money. And no, but, or, yeah. oh, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but um, the thing is about choosing the different um, insurance companies is not that, um, how can I say, it's not, not that difficult because basically they are all forced to offer you the same services. So there's um, all this um, insurance are offering you the same access to hospitals and the same treatments mm -hmm. and the only thing that changes is the price. So there's only a price competition but not a content competition on that. And they you, you, you answered the question that I was about to yeah. ask there in yeah. terms of, yeah, similar coverage. It's the it's, same yeah, coverage. It's the same coverage. So you, you don't have to think, oh, I have diabetes. Maybe I should Google them. Maybe I shouldn't tell them. Yeah, they don't care. Um, mm -hmm. And you pay the same amount regardless if you are, regardless of your income or your risk group. So um, the only thing is they're trying to compete on the administrative side, saying, well, we have the least administration costs, so we can offer you coverage for a lower amount. Uh, so on the one hand, free market. On the other hand, not that much because as an insurance company, the product is forced to you and you're forced to take everyone. And so, yeah, a mixture of socialist um, system and free market. Yeah. And so then um, the insurance companies are paying uh, a mix of, are, are there some public hospitals and then there are university hospitals and other private hospitals? Exactly. So there's a wide um, a combination of privately owned, uh, public owned and for-profit, non-for-profit hospitals. But as a rough estimation, so most hospitals are more or less not for profit. So the real private hospitals trying to maximize their income, there would be maybe 10% or 15% of the hospitals. Mm -hmm. And then um, is, is the payment still primarily a fee for service model? Yes. So that's one uh, big issue, obviously, that 
there is a lot of money in the system and luckily there is the states because otherwise we would be the most expensive country on this planet. We are giving 12% of our GDP to healthcare. You are, I think it's around 17%. 18, 18 some, by now. Some, oh. est some estimate, yeah. Okay. So, and yes, yeah, so fee for service is the typical situation. There's a lot of talk about changing this, uh, but you know how hard is this to really yeah. implement any value based healthcare system? Yeah. Yeah. That certainly is, um, that is a challenge. Um, so it sounds like, you know, for one, like, have, have, before we talk about, um, hospitals and, and healthcare organizations, you, you talk about the insurance companies competing, uh, you know, if, if, if they have a more efficient administrative back end, they can then probably, you know, offer a lower price. Have you worked with insurance companies that maybe use lean in those administrative processes? Yes. Um, they didn't call it lean, but it would, okay. you know, this the game that like sometimes you're not allowed to call it lean because some <laughs> manager has heard that it's about um, getting rid of people. But yeah. yes, I was actually in a project involved where there was their interface between a hospital and insurance company. Um, we, we had the chance to have a look into that. So basically the hospital um, makes some services, sends the bill to the insurance company they have to pay it and it's surprising how many hundreds and um, of processes happen between a hospital and insurance company where as a patient you don't get anything any uh, you don't know anything about what's happening there but it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people talking to each other so just to make sure that the money flows between those both organizations yeah so then when we talk about um, hospitals or, or other healthcare settings, what, what's their motivation uh, in Switzerland for, for lean? You were talking earlier about um, learning how to teach healthcare professionals, um, how, how to um, help pique their interests. Um, but, you know, whether we're talking about healthcare professionals or maybe the executives that, that run hospitals, what, what do you see as the, the primary motivations for lean? Well, what everyone says is always about the patient, eh? patient first. But you know, that's not always the true reason to start a lean project, if I may be very honest here. Yeah? So indeed, I think we have to make a difference between the executives and the healthcare professionals. So mm -hmm. in my experience, the, there's a lot of money in the system, but yet the pressure is increasing to get the cost down. So many executives think also about money. Even they're not for profit, they have to make sure that they earn enough to refinance themselves in the long run. Yeah? Yeah. So money will be always an issue. But in addition, what they have, the executives on their mind, is always about uh, staff, staff shortage. So mm. we can only survive here in Switzerland because we are heavily importing um, physicians and nurses from the countries around us. Otherwise, we would completely have a shortage here. Just to give you a rough estimate, we are training maybe one third of the um, doctors we need in this country. So oh, two thirds gosh. have to come from somewhere else, logically, yeah, if you don't want to, to have really shortages here. So it's about money. But it's also about treating your staff in the right way. And yes, obviously, the patient should not suffer at any moment. 
if you think about the health professionals, well, we, we had a study um, in one hospital here, in one university hospital, where we tried to assess and measure uh, with Gamba's walks how much time do they really spend in their, in their main role dealing with patients. And so the typical Swiss doctor that we observed was around 20% of their time really uh, dealing with patients in a hospital mm. setting. So 80% is other stuff. Uh, and this other stuff, some of that might be useful, like documenting the right things that you need for the therapy. But for example, 50% of their time, they were sitting in meetings. And no one can tell me uh, that you really need, or the best way to organize this hospital is having your physicians 50% of their time in meetings. So right. some of that time might be really valuable, but there must be so much waste in those meetings. And everyone who has been in meeting in an industrial setting or healthcare setting knows that not all the time or you are in a meeting is really value-adding. Yeah. Well, and then there's the, the time spent um, on, on the computer and the electronic health record systems, right? Yes, that's so. Uh, that's maybe one third. Well, in our numbers, it was one third of the time, something like that. Mm -hmm. They were doing so, yeah. recording things, writing things down. Uh, and that yeah. makes it very difficult for us. If you do like the typical split and you want to find out how much waste is in the system, uh, because you see people writing things down and it could be there are exactly the information you need in the next step, or it could be that they're just very, very cautious because they know from the lawyers you have to write everything, little thing down, otherwise you will get trouble later on. Yeah. So it's or, or to make sure you or to make sure you get paid by the insurance company. Yes, well, that's obviously the most important thing. You should start mm -hmm. writing, yeah. And so yeah, a lot of waste hidden there. Meaning that if I talk to healthcare professionals and if I promise them or I give them the vision, what about if you could, after 15 years of studying, spending more time on what you learned there, what's your passion is? Yeah? That's what's most interesting for uh, healthcare professionals. How do I reduce yeah. the time, the administrative time with me? Yeah, increasing time at the bedside. And, and then that leads to all sorts of um, other effects around uh, reducing harm, um, other other really uh, important benefits. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. We'll, we'll come back to some of the other um, topics we, we plan to talk about with Lean. But you know, when you talk about focusing on on the patient and uh, the needs of the patient, there's there's one article um, that that you've uh, published, and it's uh, it's titled uh, a case study. More patient safety by design, system-based approaches um, for hospitals. So, you know, before talking about that article a little bit, I'm I'm curious how well known are rates of medical error, uh, harm, death due to medical error in in Switzerland. Um, yeah, well, that's that's uh, the big, big, big issue here as well. I think we have a really good system. Everyone believes that but we cannot really prove it. So we are very fragmented, meaning that you, we force our hospitals, for example, to have tons and tons and tons of quality data yeah, that you can then, uh, is then available if you know where to look. But the thing is, as soon as a patient leaves the hospital and goes to another provider, the track is completely lost. 
So we have just little snapshots of the quality in this two-week hospital stage was good. But if this leads that to, uh, to a patient that two years later has to end uh, his or ends his life in a re rehab center and because he uh, got some issues on complication with what happened in the hospital, we cannot track that. So we are in a very strange situation. Every single provider forced to have good data, but we don't have transparency on the whole system. Hmm. So I imagine, are there um, attempts uh, you know, to estimate? Or have there been studies? Um, you know, in, in, in your article, you reference it's now 20 years old, um, the study from the United States to err is human. And yes. you know, the, the different studies that have been done since that try to estimate um, levels of, of harm and death, you know, it's based off of small samples and reviewing charts and, and trying to determine what was caused by error and what was preventable. You know, the, those estimates are very wide ranging. Oh yeah. Um, is there a similar attempt in Switzerland? Yeah. Um, one number that, um, that is very striking is that um, we have every year, Switzerland is a small country with 8 million. We have around 300 persons dying in the street because of traffic um, accidents. And the estimation is five to 10 times that number dies in hospitals because of errors. So mm. you see there, um, yeah, you see the gap there that's still to be closed. Yeah. And, and, and one thing I've seen when, when I've seen numbers, um, the per capita numbers, um, or, you know, for example, the United States and Canada, um, with two very different structures of, of, of their health system, the, the per capita rates are almost exactly the same, mm. which to me is not surprising because I've, I've visited and worked with many hospitals in Canada and the way the work is done is very similar. Um, some of the concerns about um, communication and teamwork and staffing levels, those are very much the same um, across, across countries. So to, to me, it's not surprising that uh, you know, per capita rates might be very close. Yeah. On the other hand, I have to say, well, that the life expectancy here in Switzerland is 83 years. And so that uh, overall, it's still very good. Yeah, It's not like people are dying like flies in hospitals. I don't want to give that impression. But every death right. obviously is yes, uh, death too much. And every harm is not always about death. Yeah. So um, can, can you talk a little bit more about your article when, when you talk about um, working environments and, and system design. What were some of the key findings from that article about uh, improving patient safety? Sure. The thing is, that's not a new research field. So as you mentioned before, um, looking at why we do errors and try to prevent them it has been being focused on the last decades. But the funny thing is that many, many times, many articles articles focused a lot on the process and the human behavior. And there's one famous stating that says that um, we cannot change the human condition, but we can change the conditions under which human work. So right, sometimes, right. as you know, it's much easier to change the system around um, persons and not the person itself. So... Uh, well, as you, as a friend of Deming and Lean, you know, uh, the, most of the errors belong to the system. And so what we are trying in that, um, in that article, in that um, research, 
effort was more not to invent new um, systematic prevention of um, of um, issues or of a risk, but just to collect them and think about how can we make sure that people know that this risk can be mitigated by having the right systematic approach to that. So that was the main yeah. purpose of that. Yeah, I'm curious how much you hear discussion around, um, you know, I hear hospital leaders or even medical professionals, they'll, they'll talk about errors and they'll say, well, you know, some of this comes down to human error and, you know, humans are imperfect and it's human nature and humans are fallible. So, you know, when it's human error, what can you do about that? Well, you can, <laughs> I think like what you're saying, we can't expect people to be perfect, but we can improve the system. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. And it's much easier, you know, to, if you, if you don't give the, people the opportunity to make an error, Pukayoke uh, and co, um, it's so much easier than to teach them and give them courses and explaining why it's important. Just don't let the error happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. and but, but whenever you start building a new hospital, I think this is very, very, the last page maybe on your concept on about safety and safety issues. You think a lot of, the architects think a lot about how to make this beautiful, how to win the competition. Mm -hmm. And not so much how can we make in a safe environment so that people can conduct their processes in a safe way. Yeah. So kind of stepping back and, you know, looking at lean within Swiss healthcare, um, I'm going to ask you, and it's a difficult question, and I forget if you asked me or, or people ask me, you know, it's this version of the question of, you know, how many hospitals in the United States are, implementing lean or whatever verb <laughs> seems um, appropriate. And, and it's hard to know, but, um, you know, if I were to ask you the question of, you know, how widespread is lean and Swiss healthcare? Is it, is it possible to, to generalize or what, what's your impression? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a question that we get all the time. And um, I guess my answer will be a wild guess as uh, I don't think that any country has, can really answer that question. But um, I would say it like we have around 280 hospitals here in Switzerland. And I once tried to collect every single lean optimization I found out there. Uh, and I had soon to give up because this is so, so much data and so fast outdated. And people sometimes implement lean, but they don't talk about it because they're mm -hmm. ashamed or because it didn't well or it didn't go well. But to answer your question, I would widely guess between 20 and 30% of Swiss hospitals have tried, have um, made at least a lean pilot in some part of their organization. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and boy, the challenge of, of trying to go and track all that down, you know, in the United States, I think there are about 6,000 hospitals. And, and like you said, there's no public reporting and they might be fair to say not all lean efforts are created equally. So if somebody has done 5S in a couple of departments, does that count the same as an organization that's really trying to change their culture and their management system? Yes, it's really hard to count. And the good thing is, I would say, is um, I don't think that uh, there would be a hospital who not at least a couple of people have heard about lean. And mm -hmm. if you would ask in a survey, what is your 
preferred way of improving processes, I'm for sure that lean would be number one. Yeah? So mm -hmm. it's, it's starting to become like the standard procedure if you really want to improve your processes. So I, I wouldn't think any other philosophy, improving philosophy is as close to be number one as lean. Yeah. So can, can you share an example or, or some examples of, you know, um, a hospital or a clinic um, that you've seen or worked with that has um, had made good progress with lean? I'm, I'm not going to ask you the, the, the question I get sometimes is like, well, you know, who's the best? And I don't, I, who knows? I don't like to say that. So I'm not asking you who's best, but can you share at least an example, whether you can name names of the organization or not? What, what are some examples of good progress? There? Sure. Um, yeah, who's the best? Uh, depends who has the best de uh, marketing department, I would guess. <laughs> um, well, what we observe here is that indeed hospitals started first. So from all healthcare providers, it, it were the hospitals who started with lean and have uh, taken the leading role since then. And what we have seen there is like a division between the big university hospitals and some small, more independent hospitals. And so I think one of the first hospitals for sure were the big university hospitals in Bern or in Basel. And what they did at the beginning is to, very typical, is to get some external help. So some big consulting company to getting things started. And then once the my pilot project was done, they tried to implement that into the organization. So this hospitals, and when I say big, I'm talking about 800, 900 beds. Yeah? And that's for us, it's a big hospital. They have by now like a central department, central organization helping uh, any anyone in the hospital implementing lean. So this is already a big step forward for us to say, okay, I'm in, in, I'm in a ward um, and I would like to improve my processes. I can call those persons in the central staff organization that will help me with my processes. So that's one approach, one more institutionalized approach. And the other examples are more like single independent middle managers uh, who decide I want to have that in my department. And mm -hmm. so not from the top, not from the bottom, but somewhere in between, they decide, I want to change my eye clinic and become better. So those are the two sort of good examples I see here. But if you ask me, is there a lean hospital out there? Well, you could argue there's no one in the planet because it's a process, not a, a status mm -hmm. you um, reach. <laughs> but um, even being, is there a hospital where you would say everyone has had a training in lean and has implemented that no that does not yet exist here in switzerland yeah so it, yeah it's not yes no lean or not lean um i kind of you know try to think of it and categorize it as you know uh if you were put have two categories uh we're still working at it and figuring it out or we've given up or maybe we you know there, there's there's some who haven't started, but um, yeah. So I've, I've seen a lot of cases where somebody who runs a department is inspired um, to, to, to start practicing lean and, and, and they can make a big difference within uh, their, their department or maybe their value stream. 
even if it's not fully endorsed uh, for, for the organization by the chief executive, right? Indeed. Funny enough, it started here in certain departments. So it was the typical hospital wards and in the emergency room. Those were the two parts of a hospital were making, um, well, the first ones with like clinical approach or clinical processes. Before that, even that the, the very first lean case I heard in a Swiss hospital was about logistics. So yeah. there was um, um, in the eastern part of this country in St. Gallen, the logistics manager there, he came from Ikea. And so he decided, well, what's happening in this hospital? Uh, I know it's completely different from my previous experience. And he, he started that time changing the processes and introducing Kanban and looking at inventories. So that's, right. that's a typical approach here. Logistics, then maybe the emergency department. Um, and then maybe the most hard part is to go to the operating room. Yeah, so maybe let, let's let's talk about that because I know you've done some research, um, in particular with lean and operating rooms. Can can you can you tell us more about um, maybe you know what some of the challenges have been or, or how people have addressed those challenges? Yes, for sure. So if I talk about the research on that, because when we decided maybe it would be interesting to have a look at lean in operating rooms. So the first thing as an academia, what you do is you do a literature review. Now, if you don't know what to do, just complete or try to collect everything that you can find about uh, the knowledge out there. So what we did there is was a team of about seven persons and we went to the um, databases and started looking for keywords like surgical unit, optimization, improvement, and so forth and so on. And then we got like 700 documents. You scan them and notice that in our case, 150 were like really studies and uh, solid research, not only marketing from some consulting companies. And then you go in deep dive there to mm -hmm. try to find out what's really, what do we really know about how to improve an um, operating room in that case. Yeah. And yes, what you find out there is you will always find the same um, hurdles and the same challenges that we have anywhere else, and we can deep dive that a little bit later. But especially for our operating room, what we notice is that if you think about methods and about tools, how to implement lean in an operating room, there were basically non-existing um, tools that are specific for the operating room. So most of the papers we analyzed, they were just some um, scheduling mathematical formulas, very complicated. I don't, I don't think they had anything to do with real life, with practical life. So, so the first lesson there was, there is no specific way to introduce lean to an operating room. What um, second finding of, of that project was that um, are only like 12% of the papers out there dealt with the soft sides of lean introduction. So I'm not telling you anything new when you say it's all about people and you have to convince the people and it's a lot about emotions when you're trying to implement lean. But all this operating room process improvement papers, or not all, but 90% were about the hard facts. And so anything about how to introduce change, how to make your team work better, 
almost nothing on that part. So we notice very fast, very fast, this is a real big knowledge gap. And maybe the third um, insight from that study was that um, there was not a single paper telling you how to do it. How should I really transform? So the the cooking receipt, uh, recipe, uh, how do I start as a manager if I decide I want in the next years to have a real smooth running lean operating room? No one is telling you that in academia world. Mm. And, and so when you, you talk about, um, you know, the soft side, so, you know, as industrial engineers, you know, we, we can probably quickly imagine all of the, the, the possible mathematical optimization, mm-hmm. linear programming, simulation, you know, topics that we could delve into. But then, you know, as engineers, or let, let's say somebody determines, you know, the best or the correct model, that doesn't mean that model is going to be accepted, which now comes back to that soft side. And, and maybe you know, we transition to talk about some other research that you've done about change acceptance or you know, mm. to be framed as resistance to change. Can, can, can you talk more about that? Sure. So I think this is a maturity problem because as an engineer, the easiest thing is to take a computer, make a simulation, and it's fine. And that's, mm. I'm not mm. saying this is not important. This is very mm. important. But this can be only the first step. Then you have to go with your computer, your results, and stand in front of people uh, and create some you know, motivation, some common vision, and, and a project plan, and how do we do that? And so yeah. there was always the argument here in Switzerland that, yeah, it sounds great what's happening over there in the States and what Mr. Graben tells you in his book. But in Switzerland, it's so different. It's not going to work here <laughs> uh, because of, well, the patients are obviously completely different as you cannot compare a Swiss patient to a U.S. patient and especially our people are different. So what can you do with you have such a statement? What we did then is to try to measure, is there really any way to quantify how willing people are to cha- uh, change? or the other way around, how um, is your resistance to change as a person? And so I'm not a psychologist, but I went and found one very uh, important um, work from a professor in in Israel, Mr. Oreck. And he said, basically, I have developed a system of questions. It's it's not just asking you, Mark, are you resistant to change? Yes, no. But Mm -hmm. it was more sophisticated than that. And right. it claims to be the only system how you can predict reactions of people. So basically, if I tell you, Mark, unfortunately, I'm going to move your office next week to another room. You hear that information. <laughs> you have very limited knowledge about if this is a good change. Maybe you're getting the corner office or in the top floor, whatever. Or maybe you're going to the seller, to the other logistics guys. You don't know that. But people tend to react to such an information in pretty different ways. And it's a pretty stable trait they have. uh, Psychologists could explain that much better. And with a certain number of of verified questions, you can find you on a scale from one to six, what type of person are you? 
In this case, in self-will, one means that you love change and six means um, you hate everything that happens uh, without you in control and you hate everything that changes. You know, your cup is not in the right place. You hate it. You know? That they might want to eat the exact same thing for breakfast yes. every morning. And they, you know, it, it's, it's also, it's not always change is good. You know, you have routine mm -hmm. work. So you need maybe in this planet, both types of persons that are, well, you have to this morning, you have as every morning, half an hour to check your email and people will be more willing to do that. A lot of people will tend to hate that job. But anyway, mm -hmm. so you can do this and was done across many, many different countries. And so, for example, here in the Central Europe part, the number is very abstract, but you have to compare it to make it meaningful. So the typical Swiss, the typical German would have something around 3.1. So in a scale from one to six, so exactly more or less in the middle. So they don't love change, but don't hate it. The States, by the way, is a little bit more loving to change, 3.05. So... This is like the benchmark. It's not a huge. It's not a huge. That's a, yeah, it's not no, a huge. No. Difference. So if you want huge, um, bigger difference, go to Japan. Yeah, there you have 3.22, meaning they are the most resistant to change. If you, and in, but they invented lean. So you, there you see. Anyway, that's yeah, that's interesting. You have this benchmark, and now you can for the first time compare those numbers with what's happening within a hospital. And my problem or my first challenge when I did this study was to see, well, if I ask the managers, they will for sure have a bias. Well, they're just telling you about them and about the great organization and maybe they're the type of persons who became CEO and so they might tend to be more change lovers. So what, what my aim was to try to really to get everyone in a hospital from the CEO through all the physicians and nurses down to the assistant to the guy in the cleaning room. Yeah? Um, so to have really a representative view of, of the different jobs and uh, roles in such an organization. And to make a long story short, at the end of the day, as I said before, if the typical Swiss citizen has a 3.1, um, the hospital, the typical hospital uh, employee was more change loving. So with a 2.6, yeah? so that was a really low number, resistance to change. Mm. So the average uh, person working in the hospitals, the four hospitals I observed, they would be more willing to accept change than the typical average citizen, citizen out there. Interesting. Wow. And so this is, uh, well, that was for us a key um, result to start saying, guys, if you say change is not working in your hospital, it's not because of your people. It's maybe because <laughs> mm -hmm. of the, you know, maybe even of the administration or the, the managers or how you approach the whole thing. This is just yeah. not justifying not doing any lean projects in your hospital. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think when you talk about executives or other leaders, they, they might say they're change loving, but you know, they, they, they're wanting others to change. Like if they were given the opportunity or, or, you know, pressure to change personally in some way, are, are they really as change loving um, when, when it comes to themselves? Um, it's a good, interesting question. But um, 
I think you raise a lot of really good points about not blaming individuals for being quote unquote resistant to change. Indeed, and you you need to create like the burning platform. You need to create a vision, either positive, saying, imagine uh, an organization where everything is on time. You don't, have, you're not wasting time with administrative stuff, or you have patients flow through organization, love you, and give you compliments. Or you can start mm -hmm. using the negative energy there is, like saying, you know that every day you're. Um, operating schedules gets um, delayed. You know that you spend only 20 time with patients and uh, you hate that. So uh, however you do it, you need to create a certain sense of urgency to start a change. And the people, if they see that, and if you have a good plan, I'm sure they follow, they will follow you. And well, they have followed for many good cases I have seen here. So one other research topic um, I want to touch on, at least briefly, you, earlier you mentioned uh, digital health, and you've also done research around um, digital digitization or digitalization, stumbling over the right way to say that, but, but lean and in digital advances and technologies, what, 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 what's some of your research showing around, um, no, or is, is, is it uh, complementary to use digital technologies and lean? Yes, obviously, this is a hot topic and everyone is talking about digital health. So I started to think, am I maybe betting on the wrong horse here with my lean? Should I also change or should I, um, maybe this is going to be the next big thing, research thing. And I think we can all agree on that. The order is pretty clear. You don't have to think about anything digital if your processes are not under control. Huh? If you don't start thinking, about the flow of your patients, of your information, what's really value-adding, getting rid of the waste. Don't start with any automation, automatization projects, otherwise uh, you will just automize uh, waste. So uh, that said, um, the question is, do we need more digital tools and devices in our lean projects? So if you come to a typical hospital experimenting with lean in Switzerland, you will see a lot of paper. You will see that, okay, we are doing a Gemba walk and we are um, um, describing and um, drawing our um, um, value map. We will make this on paper. Mm -hmm. It will be a big piece of brown paper on the wall and we will draw there. Or if you go to a huddle in the morning of the nurses in a lean ward, they will stand in front of a whiteboard and move magnets around. You know. So the big question out there for me, the research question is, do we need more uh, digital tools for that? And uh, when I say research question, I don't have the clear answer. Um, I'm just in the mm -hmm. beginning. But what I noticed is that I had a workshop with around 80 practitioners from different hospitals. And I asked them exactly what do you need? You, know, you have done many lean projects in the past. Do you think now is the right step to move ahead? For example, there is one hospital in Interlaken, a Swiss city in the Alps. They have digital huddle boards. So it's a smart screen. Uh, so there is a st uh, stand-up meeting is in front of that screen where it can really not only move magnets, but move the data um, in their system around. And um, use a keyboard and... Um, 
and then it's it's written in the electronic health records and things like that. So is this just a joy or not? I don't have the clear answer, but what I notice very fast is that with this 60, 80 people in the workshop, we developed around 30, 40 different ideas. So they were very, very eager to digitalize many of their tools. Uh, so um, that's not still a sign that we need them, but at least I notice from um, from market perspective, there's a strong need and urgency of these practitioners to start experimenting more uh, with that. And for me, from an academia point of view, it would be very interesting to see what's the added value. So if I have a smart screen uh, compared to a whiteboard, Yes, maybe I can do uh, the documentation is easier. I can track things and I will, I, I, I believe it's my thesis that you will have some added value. But the question is, is mm -hmm. it worth compared to all the costs, all the uh, um, hassle you have there to install and to pay for that? So the cost benefit ratio, I have no clear answer for that. So that's one another hot topic. Yeah, and I, you know, I think one of the other ways of trying to frame that, whether it's it's digital huddle boards or digital technologies for sharing uh, improvement ideas or, or completed improvements, um, I think kind of comes down to the, you know the question of what problem are you trying to solve. Um, you know, if you're um, a single site organization where um, you know, people can spread ideas by literally walking to another department and talking in the cafeteria and looking at a physical bulletin board. The, the, the case of the argument for digital, te digital technologies might not be as strong as, um, you know, maybe cases where, um, like a thing in the United States, you have a, you know, a hospital system with dozens of hospitals in different states. There might be a compelling uh, problem statement where uh, you know, different technologies become a, a solution to that problem. Yeah, I, I see that exactly like that. And I think sometimes people, maybe I don't know how much it's human nature, this would be a different thing to study. How much do people love jumping to technology solutions because they think technology is cool? You know, um, there's a current survey here from our association of um, of physicians and they ask, uh, is there a representative study in with family doctors in Switzerland? And they say uh, only 13% say, nah, digital tools, we don't need that at all. So it's not only about lean, but just in mm -hmm. our healthcare does not need digital tools. It's only 13% of family doctors. But if you start asking um, the patients themselves, uh, the, the funny thing is it's only 44% believe that digital tools are important to improve the quality. I'm not talking about cost, the quality of healthcare system. So depending on whom you ask in Switzerland, you will get very different questions if we need more digitalization in our healthcare system or not. Yeah. And yes, obviously having a new so digital tool yeah, that's always a nice thing. Well, we are engineers, so um, you, you understand that. Yeah, I mean, there are times, like even just personally, there are times when I think technology is cool and I want to do some sort of experiment with it. Um, but then you see how that plays out. Like, you know, in the past, I mean, it was maybe even going back 10 years ago, I experimented with doing uh, some video podcasts where let's say, you know, we were chatting here, like the technology certainly exists 
through Zoom to not just record audio like we're doing, but we, we could have, you know, uh, made ourselves look nice and get on video and, um, and publish that on, on YouTube. And, and I did that. And, you know, I got feedback from people saying like, well, I think most of the value really comes from what's being said. Mm. And, you know, so in putting together a video podcast was, um, at least at the time it, it was more, more effort. Um, so anyway, I stopped, I stopped that experiment. I just kind of went back saying, you know, look, let's, let's just do audio. And then, you know, the other experiment is, you know, do you publish a transcript? Because there are some mm. people who, um, either, you know, maybe they can't listen or they just prefer to read. And so, you know, those questions around, you know, okay, what, what technologies make information most accessible, whether that's the types of things we're talking about in a podcast or information about improvement or information about, um, you know, medical records. And it will be always a discussion. And I also have within my team, I have the discussion, for example, we have still a Kaizen board and that's a whiteboard. So we have talked so mm -hmm. many times about why uh, we should be a role model and have some digital solution for that. But on the other hand, I have seen so many situations where people say me, yeah, we have a suggestion board. It's, it's, it's an Excel file and you can access it in this drive and in this 20 <laughs> burnt down or buried down between 20 different folders. No one is going to use it. So, As always, yeah. purpose first, then uh, technology. Yeah. And then sometimes people get quite creative. Like there, there was a hospital in the United States I visited where, like, I don't think this was at all endorsed by the health system or the IT department, but when within one unit, the nurse manager and all of the nurses had created a private Facebook group that they would use for communicating about You know, somebody has called in sick and I need someone to come in today. And, you know, I think they were all very mindful. Of course, you don't post, you don't make fun of patients. You don't post pictures of patients. You don't post medical information. But, you know, the, the thing I, I respected was that they were creative and they found a technology that solved a communication problem they had in a way that, you know, the, you know, the hospital system had not solved that problem for them. And the hospital might have been upset, like, oh, you can't use a Facebook group. That's true. So what you should there, the, well, the good part about the story is people came up with ideas. So you have already the people with the right mindset that we should try to find a solution and not just complain that our IT department is too slow. We are doing something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, before I wrap up, you know, uh, you also been involved in um, the writing of uh, a, a couple of books. Um, I, I saw those books in, in your office and um, you know, the, uh, the lean healthcare transformation body of knowledge. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about, about that? For sure. And unfortunately um, I'm, I always focus on the market and the market in Switzerland is very, very language uh, driven saying that if you'd say to a nurse, my book is in English, uh, they will say, okay, then uh, I'm not going to read it. So most of the things are in German, but the, the, if mm -hmm. anyone is able to read that, if you go to my webpage, leanhealth.ch, what we try to do there and in the book you mentioned as well, Lean Health Transformation Body of Knowledge, We try there to um, 
make like a Wikipedia of the lean tools. Uh, maybe with Google Translator, people mm -hmm. are going to, mm -hmm. to see that. So basically, this is like um, in two or three pages, I want you to explain me what is all the fuss about um, Kanban. Why should I bother? What prerequisites do I need there? So I try to gather the knowledge in one place, either a book for old-fashioned people like me or in the web page. So that was one of our um, research outcomes. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's great to have, um, when we talk about making information accessible, uh, language certainly uh, does matter. So, um, you know, that looked like that was, you know, a really useful guidebook for people who are trying to learn more. And I'll, I'll link to that um, book and in the show notes, and I'll also link to journal articles and, and other work that um, Alfred uh, has done. But then um, you've got uh, another book um, called The Better Hospital. I was curious if you could talk about that project. For sure. So this was a project, as most of our projects, together with practitioners. So we got a grant from this um, federal government, and I took that and together with the help of um, a consulting company in a hospital. And what we did there is we tried to tell one compelling story with easy words. So we, we went with a journalist and he tried to convince us that not the most sophisticated and sentence wins. So the other way around, you have to speak mm -hmm. very clear, very easy to persons. And we have a lot of illustrations and comic book style. And we try to explain why should we bother with all this lean health stuff. And it was published in German, but this is one of the books. It's also available, at least uh, through Amazon in the Kindle version, for sure, in English. So if anyone wants to have like this really journey for a person that has never heard about lean and should, and the book tries to answer the big question, why? Why should we change the way we manage our hospitals and other healthcare providers? Well, and, and that's, yeah, an, an important point. The why before the what. Um, now, was it intentional? I'm guessing it was intentional to use the word better in the title because that, that's, even though you know, it's, it's, it's sort of vague, that sort of speaks to the why. We want to be better. You want to hear the, the truth is we would like to use the term the lean hospital, but it was already taken by you, so we had to take another title. We did, but I think it's a better. I mean, in a way, I mean, you know, it's bad, the word better, but it's a better. Um, you know, it's just it's it's a better title. <laughs> you think back to the days when uh, Jim Womack and John Krafcik and others coined the term lean production. What if they had just called it better production? Well, what I like about better is like the philosophy. You know, um, you will never be the good, perfect hospital. So why don't try to be better? Yeah. Every day a little bit better. So yeah. I think at the end, it fits pretty well, the hospital and the, the title of the book. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way of putting it. So um, yeah, every day a little bit better. Um, every podcast a little better. But you, you've been a great guest <laughs> today, Alfred. And um, I, I know you're, you're still um, with, with your own podcast in, in the early days. I bet there's a lot of incremental improvement that's happening from episode to episode. Oh, yeah. you, this, this is your opportunity to practice Kaizen. Indeed. No way. I, I was inspired by many podcasts out there, also by yours. So, you know, um, yeah, I just thought why instead of talking and th overthinking this, why don't we go out there, start and uh, 
What I heard is that after you need at least 20 interviews to be good host. And you have now 350 and more, so you must be excellent by now. And I'm trying to improve myself as well. Yeah. Well, it's good to have something that we're uh, producing and it's a process and we can indeed we can keep uh, keep working at it. So so Alfred again, you know, I want to thank you publicly for um, you know, hosting me uh, back in, in November of last year and arranging um, a hospital visit and some, some time to talk and um, compare notes and, and, and get to know each other. So um, I appreciate that very much. And I'm glad we could um, talk again today. And, um, you know, I haven't been able to share any uh, perspectives from Switzerland. You're my first Swiss guest yeah. on the podcast. So thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.